sports fans rejoice. You're listening to my team, my voice with MTMV Sports. I'm coming in. Hey, this is Shakira Hill, and you're listening to MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. For a quiet time with God, I want to talk about staying encouraged. Life gets pretty tough sometimes. You don't know what's going on, and the only thing you can do is turn to God. Have the strength and courage to know that God will turn around every bad situation and use it for your good. Every broken heart, God can make your heart whole and restore it. Every feeling of unworthiness and self-doubt, we can put it in God's hands and he can comfort you. Letting go of who you think you are and embracing who God calls us to be can help you lift those heavy burdens you carry. Let go of all your fears. Psalm 46 and 1 says, God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says, Always be joyful, never stop praying, and be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So don't be fooled by by your circumstances. Things will always work out. Stay encouraged in the Lord. Smile, laugh, and have fun. That's my prayer for you today. Stay brave, stay bold, and stay ballin'. Peace. For Baller of the Week, it goes to Devin Booker. And let me tell you, he was doing an amazing job. He was hot the whole time, his first playoff game, and he took down the Lakers 99 to 90. You know, the Phoenix Suns has a great offensive team and a defensive team. They're second seed. And it just shows even when Chris Paul went down with a shoulder injury, Booker was able to take, you know, the load, take the burden. And he did it with such finesse and poise. He basically was a great offensive. He, the the whole off, offense was based on Booker. You know, he's like he looked like a polished veteran out there. He finished the game with 34 points on 13 of 26 shooting, eight assists, seven rebounds, and one steal in 45 minutes. And Lakers have a top-ranked defense, and they could not stop him. You know, he was coming off double screens and pulling up with mid-range jumpers and you know he was just shooting off the perimeter getting the right people you know to make their shots as well so anytime he touched the ball the Lakers could not stop him and plus the the Lakers had a bad shooting night as well AD wasn't doing what he usually does LeBron was you know he had a half decent shooting night but it just wasn't enough they could not come back and So, you know, I think that Devin Booker is such an amazing player and I can't wait what he does for game two. So the Lakers have to get on their game in order to, you know, get back to their their top form because it was not showing tonight against the Phoenix Suns. So that's why Devin Booker is the baller of the week. And I'm going to leave it with this. Stay brave, stay bold and stay balling. Peace. What's up, my ballers? For the mental health check-in, I want to talk about personal boundaries. Learning to set healthy boundaries. It's very important for your self-image. It's our way of communicating to others that we have self-respect, self-worth, and will not let others to to define us. So personal boundaries are the physical, emotional, and mental limits we establish to protect ourselves from being manipulated, used, or violated by others. 
This allows us to separate who we are and what we think and feel from the feelings of others and from the thoughts of others. This pre- their presence helps us express ourselves as the unique in- individuals we are, while we acknowledge the same in others. So there's five ways to establish healthy personal boundaries. They, for the first one, know that you have a right to personal boundaries. You don't have you have to take responsibility for how you let others treat you. You know, so you don't let people take advantage of your kindness. Also, you have to identify the actions and behaviors that you find unacceptable. Let others know that when they've crossed the line, acted inappropriately, or disrespected you in any way. Don't be afraid to tell others when you need emotional and physical space. Also, allow yourself to be who you really are without pressure from others to be anything else. And know what actions you need to take if your wishes aren't respected. Also, trust and believe in yourself. You know, you have to know who you are, know what you want and what you need and value. And don't let anyone else make the decisions for you. Healthy boundaries make it possible for you to respect your strengths, your abilities, and individuality, as well as others. So you, if you, an unhealthy balance occurs when you encourage neediness or are needy, you want to be rescued or are the rescuer. And this is, you know, information I've found on essential skill, life skills.net, which is really very helpful because I have to learn about having, you know, setting boundaries for myself and, you know, knowing my worth. And so I really got some value from this article and and just knowing not to let people take advantage of you and say what you mean and not, you know, be, you know, needy, basically. And, you know, just set emotional boundaries so people will respect that and won't cross the line and you won't feel, you know, manipulated. I won't feel manipulated or I won't feel um, pressured to do anything I don't want to do. You know, or you feel like you're you're not you're being being used, basically. So that's what I wanted to talk about: setting healthy boundaries for yourself, so you can have a better um, self worth and you feel better about yourself when you set boundaries. So that's all I wanted to talk about. I hope you have an amazing, awesome rest of your week, and I just want to leave it with this: stay brave. Stay bold and stay balling. Peace. What's up, my ballers? My name is Keisha Swafford, and I'm here with Say Carrie. She's an author and speaker. And um, this is my first writer on the show, so I'm super excited. And I just wanted to, you know, get to know you, get to know about your books. You have two books out, um, Hidden Commonalities and The Unraveling of Natural Hair, of the story of natural hair and Black African hair. So I think that's really cool. Um, and I, uh, am so proud of you for publishing two books. What do you First want off, about thank that? Thank you, Keisha, for having me. Yeah, it was, it's a pleasure. I'm glad that you're on the show. Um, and, you know, I just want to talk about your first book, Hidden Commonalities. Um, why did you decide to write your, that book, you know, about, you know, hidden commonalities of African cultures? Uh, I wrote my first book, Hidden Commonalities, to help bridge the gap between Africans and people of African descent. Uh, Growing up, I observed that both um, had misconceived notions about each other. And um, they were dispelling myths about all uh, coming from all sides. And I wanted to debunk 
these myths by revealing our hidden commonalities through history and culture. Okay. Um, you know, what did you learn about, you know, yourself, you know, because you know, I know you're from Librian Heritage. And, you know, after exploring these different African cultures, what did you learn? Yeah, so um, I was born and raised in the United States. Um, I was born in Far Rockaway, Queens, New York. Um, I grew up in New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. I had lived some time in North Carolina, and now I'm in North Carolina. And growing up, in, growing up here in the United States, um, I know I observed the cultural risk between African people and people of African descent. Originally, my family is from Liberia, West Africa. So I'm a first generation Liberian American. So uh, while growing up, I did have a hard time trying to identify with all groups. I felt like I was shunned. And whenever I would um, try to reach out to um, my African-American side, I was teased called an African booty scratcher. In addition, um, I also tried to connect with my Caribbean or West Indian people as well. And I observed how not all of them, but some of them had a negative uh, depiction of African people and some thought that they were superior to me. And lastly, when I would try to connect with my Liberian side or African side, um, some felt that because I was born and raised in the United States, I was less of an African or less of a Liberian. I was also called an Akata. What does that mean? Okay, so Akata, um, that is um, a word that, that comes from Nigeria. It's either, I, I believe it's Yoruba. Um, uh, it's either Yoruba or, or Iba, I believe it's more so Yoruba, and that means Basically, uh, an akata meaning like, um, you know how there's wild cats and there's domesticated cats. So they're saying, so that, that means they're referring to people of African descent. They're referring to mainly African-Americans or those of African descent who've been out of Africa because of slavery or who even people who, people who are, were born in Africa when they leave Africa and they've been like in the United States or so been abroad for so many years, they'll be called an Akata as well. Okay, so is it like a negative term? It's, it's, it is a negative term. So those who've been out of Africa for years, they're called an Akata, meaning like a wild cat. While those who've been in Africa their whole life, they're the domesticated cats. Hmm. So that that is not a term of endearment. That's almost calling somebody a booty, an African booty scratcher or the N-word. Oh, wow. So That's messed up. Yeah, so so I've gotten called, and even growing up here, I got called the N-word. I've got called an African booty scratcher. I've got called an Akata. So I said, oh, no, this isn't, you know, this is not right. And you know what? We all have commonalities and we all are connected. First of all, not only by our race that we're connected, but we're connected because of Africa, because we all originally come from Africa, whether or not people want to admit that, but we all have some type of connection to Africa. I like and that. I, I, a lot of us, like we may have our admixtures and so forth, but we are, we're, the way how we're in common is because of the continent of Africa. 
Yeah, the first, uh, you know, the first man or, you know, one, the first man was from Africa. Yes. So, yeah, I agree with that. The first yep, homo sapien, yep. Um, so, the, you know, another question I want to ask you is, uh, you know, what are some commonalities that Native, Native Africans and then, you know, enslaved Africans have? I know you had, like, didn't you have, um, I guess you, you were trying to, like, is there a commonality between Native Africans or enslaved Africans? Or It definitely is. Um, so when reading my book, Hidden Commonalities, I talk about how we are in commonality. Uh, I want to talk about food. So Africa has played a conspicuous part in the formation of African diaspora culture. Um, it has played a conspicuous part in Afro-Caribbean culture as well as African-American culture. And I will, I will add... The same thing for Afro-Latino culture, the Hispanic culture too, especially when you're like countries, uh, Spanish-speaking countries in the Caribbean, South America, Latin America, there is an African influence. I will say that um, due to slavery, a lot of um, enslaved Africans were sent more so to the Caribbean as well as South Latin America. And although like, yes, there were enslaved who came to the United States, it weren't, it wasn't much, but it was more down in the Caribbean and Latin America. So with some of the hidden commonalities I found is it through food. I know for instance, I will um, talk about jollof rice and the connection with uh, jambalaya, jambalaya. I know jambalaya is similar. It's also similar to seat to paella the Spanish rice, and it's also similar to jello rice. So that's a commonality that I, I see. And even okra, okra stew, okra and tomato, the Southern dish, the soul food, the Southern dish, okra and tomato, that's a that's an African dish. And that's something that um, Black people have passed on that from generation to prepare that dish. Although it might be made in different ways, that there is still a connection to that dish, okra and tomato or uh, okra stew, okra sauce, and you add like it's tomato base. Okay, and, yeah. So, so, um, Louisiana. Know, uh, yes. Yeah, Louisiana, okra and jambalaya is what we eat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And even um, the Gullah Geechee people in South Carolina from um, the Gullah Geechee people, they're based on, from. they start from, uh, the coast of North Carolina all the way to the coast of Florida, just at Jacksonville, the Gullah Geechee people, they eat a lot of rice and okra as well. And they've held on, they have a strong African influence in their um, community. And they speak a, a Sea Island Creole. It's a, it's an English-based Creole. And those, that same English-based Creole is spoken in Barbados, Jamaica, um, in the, in the Caribbean, in several other English-speaking uh, um, Caribbean countries, and that, and furthermore, that English-based Creole is spoken in Sierra Leone and Liberia. So there's a connection right there. Um, and another thing, um, in Haiti, they um, they have something called kalalu or gumbo, and it's the same okra stew. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's just and just the gumbo, the the okra stew, and the tomato. So that's that's another example of how there's, there's a connection and how like people don't realize but it's still there as it doesn't matter how many what how many hundreds of years your family has been in been out of Africa you like if you investigate you th that influence is still there maybe some people aren't don't know but 
if you do your research, you can still feel that connection. Just because somebody may have not been born in Africa or have been out of Africa for hundreds of years, that is still in your blood. The way how you may go about maybe your dancing, your singing, because also the dancing and the singing stems from Africa, the, the spirituals, the hymns, and the certain, um, certain use of instruments that there are certain instruments that came from Africa and is still used today in the way with the, the way how, the way how we, uh, uh, black people worship and the way how we dance, it's still there. Right. I agree with you because Africans be moving, you know, they just, <laughs> they, 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 it's like this, it's like going to church basically, you know, I feel like, you know, it's, it's still the good, the same rhythms, the same music, um, you know, and we still have the same spiritual connection to, to music that, that we have, you know, Africans and African-Americans. So, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And the food, that's just, it's just like, I don't know why people don't understand that. I guess people are ignorant to it and they don't want to understand or they just too lazy to research or, you know, you don't, don't want to uh, admit, you know, to that. So yeah, you, is a lot of commonalities between African-Americans and, you know, people that are, you know, native Africans. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, go ahead, girl. Uh, <laughs> um, and another question I want to ask you is how, how can we empower each other, you know, as people of color, you know, so we can see past our differences and, you know, just basically embrace what's, what makes us unique. I think, first of all, we have to listen to one another, you know, listening is a long way, listen to each other's story, um, learn about each other's history before yeah. you make assumptions so that's another way to dialogue. That's another way for us to empower one another. I think that's a that's a good point because um, we do need to listen. We do need to really understand each other, um, you know, and not just, you know, judge each other based on where we're from or our skin color, you know, because there's all kinds of, Afri- you know, Africans, light skin, dark skin, um, you know, just you know, especially with, I feel like colorism is a, is a bad thing in the South. You know, we think that light-skinned people are better than black-skinned, uh, you know, darker-skinned people, and that is not okay. Um, you know, and I've, you know, I've just, in my own family, that's a, that's an issue. Um, and so I think that that needs to be, you know, we do need to learn about each other, you know, absolutely. each other, you know, love each other, and, and try to understand who we are as a people and not how we look. Absolutely. Um, yes. Um, and also, I want to know, how do you, why do you believe we are so divided? The reason why we are divided, um, due to, it, it all stems from slavery, the effects of slavery, colonialism, because at the same time, when you go to the continent of Africa, the, the continent went through colonialism. So like there's a lot of countries who were colonized by France, England, Spain, Portugal, uh, and, and so forth. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, there's, and even, um, again, um, South Africa went through apartheid. Oh, know, yeah. That's a, a, another form of segregation that went on, and, and, and it's another form of segregation that went on here in the United States. Yeah, that's like pitting each other against, like basically they pit each other against, uh, like the Africans against each other. And that's what they did with slavery as well, you know, separating the, the light skins to the, to the kitchen or in the dark skinned slaves to 
the um you know the plantation so you know that's that was another like apartheid as well mm-hmm. so yeah um brainwashing to- um misinformation miseducation uh as well as misinformation that the media shows because um when you look when people watch tv they see africa but sometimes they only see the negative parts of africa that's true and then like feed the children and so forth they see just the dark continent Mm. with um diseases you see uh, uh but uh you see people starving and suffering and not all of africa is like that so yeah. then that's how people abroad or people of people abroad they see that and people black people who are of african descent see that they don't want to identify with africa because of those negative stereotypes that they see in the media and that that plays a part as well but at the same time at the same time africa is rich in resources rich in history you know there's inventors before these people became became slaves they were they were kings and queens they were inventors they were people who studied mathematics science and so forth yes we yeah, are kings teach, and queens. And they only they only teach about like slavery and that's it but it's you know black history is is not just just like it's a part of it but black history isn't just about slavery it's more so about like what what was going on before that before um there were invasions in in the continent yeah i agree and we need to get back to that you know there's i know uh, my uh, own pastor is african and he's very intelligent you know such a powerful person like he you know hardworking. you know he comes his family comes from a hardworking, you know rich family you know just like a you know, I think he's such an amazing person. And so, I, you know, and he's always getting judged and I don't like that, um, you know, just from, you know, his accent and everything, where he's from. Um, so, you know, we do need to stop being so judgmental and, you know, really talk to the man, you know, so talk to, uh, you know, just talk to the people that are from other countries and really understand who they are because you don't know who they are until you talk to them and really get to know them and listen yeah. to them. So, and then also another stereotype I see in like, then when people abroad, like people in the Caribbean or Africa or other black people out of the United States, they will see negative stereotypes of African-Americans and they think, oh, African-Americans are lazy, are thugs, drug dealers and all this negative stuff as well. So then, so when people come to America, other, when black foreigners come to United States and they think, um, negative about African Americans is not so because I also observed how there are times when Caribbean people, people in the in the Caribbean, Latin America, and people coming from Africa, they see um, they sometimes they look down at African Americans. So it's like and it's like coming from both sides. So they're seeing these negative depictions, and it's you know it's, it's not like. Every, it's not like that it's like there are good and bad in all groups of people and uh, people don't understand that we are brothers and sisters at the end of the day you know we are we are united by a common ancestry yeah we are ancestral brothers and sisters so for me it's like I don't see that you know for me like growing as I said before growing up 
it's like I can relate, identify with all sides. I can't just pick a side. I can identify with all sides. And also, basically, the way how Liberia's history has been set up, too, that's how I feel the way how I feel. Because even, like, with Liberia, there are indigenous African people who came from other parts of the continent and then settled in Liberia. And then there, are, there were ex-slaves from the United States and the Caribbean who repatriated to Liberia. So then it's like, I have family members who are indigenous, but then I have other family members who came from uh, uh, the Western hemisphere and who were like enslaved, but then they came back to Africa. So like, it's like, I'm a part of all groups. So I can't really pick a side. So I was like, I can identify with this group. I can identify with that. I can't pick a, pick a side. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, like you gotta, I'm glad that you can um, see all sides of, you know, every group. So, cause you can have a, like a, like a, un, like a unbiased, you know, perspective. Um, so you can, you know, write this book and really educate people on, you know, all sides. Um, so people can get a good understanding of, you know, who Africans are, who native, you know, African-Americans are, and, you know, just see that we do have a common um, commonality um, mm-hmm. and we do um, you know we can unite with each other we can you know have a good conversation and not fight each other all the time or you know just judge each other um, so I think that I'm glad that you wrote this book and um, you know more people need to read it <laughs> Thank you. Um, so read the book people isn't it on Amazon <laughs> yes it's on it, it's on Amazon Barnes and Noble it's on uh, my website saycarry.com yes and um i i'm going to read the book as well i wasn't able to you know read the book but i definitely am going to read it because i really want to you know educate people too because like someone asks me i'll be like i know i I read this book and she she told me everything i need to know (laughs) (laughs) um and i know you have another book uh it's called unraveling the story of black african hair um and you know you're you have natural hair. Um, I used to have natural hair, but I went back to perms. <laughs> um, so you know, what was the purpose of writing you know a story about natural hair? Okay, um, so with my book, I'm talking about the the hit. First off, with my book, I start off with sharing a little bit about my story and how I felt with my natural hair and how I felt with my hair because at first. You know, I, I didn't like my hair. You, you know, I, I'm growing up, I saw people with relaxed hair and, you know, my hair was in its natural state. And one thing about my hair, it would, um, whenever, whenever I washed it, it would shrink up. So then it, it appeared shorter than what it was. And I didn't like, I didn't like that shrinkage with my hair. And then I didn't like the texture. I have a type four texture. My hair is a tighter curl pattern. So um, that made, I didn't, I didn't like that texture. I wanted like a looser curl pattern or I wanted my hair to be straight, bone straight. And then also I saw people around me with straight hair, permed hair, and I wanted to have my hair permed. And and furthermore, I was made fun of. I was called nappy, nappy headed and um, teased for my hair. And that also made me feel like I need my, I want my hair to be permed too but then um after a while when I was like in my when I was in my late teens 
uh, the natural hair movement started. It was um, it was more more people were be returning natural. And when I saw that, I said, hey, maybe I should start paying attention to my hair. And um, you know, what can I do for my hair? And you know, at a certain point with my hair, the relaxer did not agree with my hair. My hair would break one moment; it will grow a certain length. It will grow to shoulder length, then it will break off. And my, it, I also had gotten sca um, scabs in my on my scalp because of the perm and stuff. The the chemicals did not agree with my scalp. So for me, on my on my end, it was best that I would return natural. And when I returned natural, my hair was much healthier and so forth. So my book was about telling my story as well as just discussing about how hair is so important, how hair is prominent in our in Black history, starting from our African foremothers. Because um, our Afri hair was based on your marital status, your class ranking. And I know in Africa, when um, when people observe that you were great at doing hair, um, they will they will have you in high regard and make you be a hairstylist. Okay. So here was you know starting from Africa, he was always seen as important. Here is like our crown. That's how we saw because I know sometimes we say, oh, why is it so? Why are black women so obsessed with hair? But it's not even, it's it's just something that, that's just a part of our blood, a part of our DNA. Right, exactly. It's a part of our DNA. It's, it's important piece of us, if, of our history. And going, and then, and also going back to slavery when, because of slavery, um, uh, during the slave trade, the uh, slaves had to get their hair enslaved Africans had to get their hair um shaved but it was like to prevent diseases and so forth during that you know that voyage across the ocean but um although it's like it was to prevent diseases and other things it was just it pretty much symbolizes being stripped away from your hair right like your identity yeah taking away their dignity yeah, so, you know, so that's the history that I'm sharing. Um, furthermore, even like when the plantation, sometimes you didn't have um, time to groom your hair. And also, again, you experience hair loss, hair breakage. But eventually, I know um, the slave masters gave people time to, gave slaves time to take care of themselves and take care of their hair. So that was a time for... Um, enslaved women to like take care of their hair or enslaved men to take care of them, take their hair and groom their hair. And I know mentioned I know earlier you had mentioned you talked about um colorism and how yeah. like with um the lighter skinned um enslaved women or or men along with um those who are those who are mixed race they started treated they treated them better because they look closer to the um the white slave masters and also so at, even at some point although you may be like mixed or um, maybe biracial or maybe of lighter skin but um you depending on how straight your hair was and how loose of a curl how loose your curl part pattern was the um slave if your hair if you had a kink to your hair and even though you might be white passing 
you would still be treated bad. Oh, wow. Man, that's just crazy. You know, it's... <sighs> oh, slavery. So was the purpose of... <laughs> My purpose was show my purpose of writing this book was to show our hair history starting from Africa, our hair history during um slavery, as well as like during the 20th century and to now with this natural hair movement um going on. Like that's what made me to write about this um about a net about um our history and to write this book. Okay, and how long did it take for you to, you know, get all that research done and you know, how long did it take for you to get, you know, get the book done? So when I was um, in college, when I was uh, working toward my, my bachelor's degree, there was a senior seminar class. And I think it was a, it, I forgot the name of the class, but it was a, it was a, it was a senior, senior seminar and it was based on commodification. So I had wrote, my paper was the commodif- the history and commodification of black hair. So I used what from that, I had used my research paper and then I expanded it, but I did have to update it because that that um paper that report that I did that was like a cup made about almost ten years ago. So I um, went ahead and um, just expanded it and I like updated it with new research about here and like natural here and so forth because a lot of things have like changed from that time period to now. Okay, that's awesome. I love it. So it probably took about, it took about me, it took about, uh, about almost, almost, I'll say about two, two years to do, to finish up. I was doing little by little, but you know, with the pandemic last year, when the pandemic started and then things like slowed down and then I had a little bit more free time. So then I used that opportunity to finish the book and to like finish, just to continue writing the book until I can get, until I came with a book. Okay, good. I'm glad that you were able to, you know, have more time. Thank God for the, for for the pandemic, because, you know, unfortunately unfortunately it's bad, but it it did free up a lot of time, (laughs) you know, to get things done. (laughs) So it was a blessing and a curse. Um, So uh, you, you said there, I saw there were like some flaws. Did you find any flaws in the natural hair movement? Yes. um, Unfortunately, within the natural hair community, there's, I'll give for example, there's texturism. And texturism all falls under the same umbrella as um, racism and colorism. So mm-hmm. like, I don't have to say what colorism is because we talked about that, but however, texturism is a discriminating someone based on their hair texture or making some, or uh, someone receiving privilege based on their hair texture. Oh, okay. I get so that. Usually if, well, what had, what the, the problem with the natural hair community and texturism, when you go on social media, on YouTube, and even when those um, YouTube influencers, especially those with four type four hair, um, sometimes they are given like a sponsor or um, some hair companies reach out to them and tell them to like do a review on this product, but then they ask them for that. However, they will go and choose somebody with the looser curl pattern. Mm, that's not and fair. you can see the, you, on, you can see there are some, a lot of, there, there are some natural influencers who have made YouTube videos about that, who talked about that. 
That's okay. I didn't know there was so a that, that's an example of um texturism here, texturism. And it's usually those with type four here because you know how like type four here, the tighter curl pattern, especially somebody with four C here, um, have experienced texturism because you have four C here, call it nappy and saying all these kind of nasty terms about it. But then if you have a like it's the same good here, bad here um issue. Okay. So that has a tighter curl pattern that's bad here. But if you have a looser curl pattern or straight here, that's good here. Mm, okay. I get and that. If you have a tighter curl pattern or you have a tighter curl pattern, you have more of a kinky texture, they want to call that uh nappy here or bad here, but that that is false. Here that is healthy here is good here. If you're here, it's healthy. If you're if you're if you're taking good care of it, if you're here is growing, and if you're here is healthy, that's good here. If you're here is damaged and you're not taking care of your hair, and if your hair is breaking off, that's bad here. Hair texture has nothing to do with how uh, if you whether your hair is good or bad. I agree. I agree with you. You know, and that's that's uh, I think that everyone is and well, it's, I think black people have I mean, experienced sexualism <laughs> yes so i know like it's always like unfortunately it has been with those with the tighter curl patterns with 4c here because sometimes i know there was a natural influencer she talked about how she has her own page on instagram and how you know on her personal page people will she will get a lot of likes but then if you know how sometimes people can take that picture and put it in another page so there was a page about natural hair and then she would get less likes and she observed that somebody did say that her hair was nappy or was dry and it would, and they were criticizing her hair. But then whenever you see somebody with a looser curl pattern, then, oh, you get more likes. So you can see that you can come make a comparison of how many likes this person gets. And even with, if your hair is longer when you have natural and your hair is longer, you will get more likes compared to somebody with shorter hair. And that doesn't matter the hair texture. What I observed is when you have type four hair, tighter curl pattern, once it's longer, when it's once it's shorter length and longer, that's when everybody wants to embrace 4C hair or four type four hair. Mm, yeah. That's that's the that's the truth. And I don't like that. That's not that's not good. Uh, we know I think that you know, any texture of hair is, is, is healthy and that's healthy and strong, um, is good. And, um, you know, I used to have, like, I got my hair damaged because, um, of, of getting my dye job and, and it really broke off my hair. So I had to really like start over. That's why I became natural. Um, you know, and it was, it was a good deal. I, you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, do you have any advice on how to keep up with, uh, you know, natural hair? Um, you know, just an easier way, you know, people that are trying to transition into natural hair, you know, what do you, what's your advice on, on that? Okay. So, um, a way, again, um, this is from my experience and also you have to study your own hair with, with your hair once, but I know like the typical maintenance, um, getting hair trims, uh, deep conditioning your hair, doing protein treatments, uh, for me, I wash my hair depending on the season. When Now that it's getting hotter, I'll wash my hair every week or every other week. During the winter time, sometimes I'll do little protective hairstyles and I'll wash my hair every two to three weeks during the winter time. Um, 
moisturizing your hair, um, you know, tying up your hair at night. Uh, and I did say trimming maintenance. And then for my hair, um, since I have a type four hair, I need a lot of moisturizer with my hair. My hair needs to be moisturized. And like I have a dry scalp, so I have to keep my scalp oiled and so forth. I know um, for me, I know some people may be against this, but I still use, I use hair grease. Hair grease is good. I use sulfur. I, I use it. It depends on the kind of hair grease. <laughs> I've been using sulfur eight hair grease mm -hmm. for the past since uh i believe 2016 that agrees with my hair yeah that and, stuff always works <laughs> yes i use it um once i wash my hair i don't have to grease it anymore so for my scalp however to like seal in the moisture in my hair i will use uh jamaican black castor oil or oh. i will use uh olive oil to like seal in the moisture that's good yeah because um when i was doing natural hair i used castor oil too and I was able to uh, grow afro. Man, I miss my afro. <laughs> but uh, yeah, your hair looks beautiful from, you know, I wish I could see it, but it, it, it's good. It looks good. You know, and protective styles is always good. Braiding your hair, um, you know, so you don't have to comb it all the time. Um, you know, it breaks off. So that's really good. Um, and, you know, you know, through the years of, you know, just you know, being bullied about your hair or your, you know, where you come from, you know, how did you deal with that, you know, and, you know, try to, you know, really resent the people that, you know, did that to you, but really, I'm glad that you were able to embrace it. And so how did you, you know, just overcome that challenge? I mean, and going back to you saying, it's, it's funny that um, people who make fun or make comments about like my heritage or my hair, <laughs> they follow me on social media. Mm. So they exactly. reached out to me on social media, but I mean, that I, I hope people have grown up and have found themselves because, you know, growing up, especially when you're a teenager, uh, people have their own issues. They, you know, they're reaching, going through puberty, um, coming in adolescent and going to, adulthood so that is expected but at the same time disrespect and bullying should not be tolerated Amen. so the way how I like um cope with everything just you know ignoring it one and for me you know I ignoring it and then also me speaking out you know speaking out and saying hey I don't like what you're saying and so forth and again i again, I have support people around me who to tell me like, no, th th ignore what they're saying. You are beautiful. Your hair looks good this way or that way. And be proud of who you are and have re be proud of your heritage. Because I get, I, I come from a household where um, my parents made a, a, taught us to embrace our Liberian heritage and also embrace being African-American, you know, that part. Amen. Two of our hair, he's a, a beard, yeah, embrace being, you know, um, our American side as well as our Liberian side and embrace us, you know, coming from New York, you know, that as well, that side. So it wasn't really growing up. I never, I, I, I heard, I've always heard my parents just saying like what it is. And it wasn't about, oh, this person is this way or being judgmental and so forth. And I, I in fact, my parents are teachers, so that's what helped to know. And my father, 
being a history teacher, teaching social studies, I've had, I saw, you know, he had books about African-American history or African diaspora history, African history. So it was just around me. I came from a pan-African household where it's like, where with being a pan-African is about the ideology of all Black people being in solidarity, regardless of where you come from, regardless if you came from the United States, the Caribbean, Africa, and so on. I love that. I love that you were able to have a great support system around you and, um, you know, being able to, you know, just ignore the haters, basically. <laughs> and as well as um, my mom saying beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Exactly. And exactly. And if they didn't find the you. Aspect, right. Aspect in the household, too. Exactly. You know, God created us all to be beautiful, you know, no matter what color we are, you know, so you know, and we are masterpieces, you know, so God created us in his image and we are beautiful. And if they don't like it, then that's their problem. <laughs> Take it up with God. Exactly. Take it up with God. And you know, you know, you don't want to anger God. Okay. <laughs> you know, you, you can't be messing with God's children. I'm just saying. Oh no. Oh no. You better not. <laughs> you, you're not go, it's not going to be good for you. you um, exactly. Exactly. Well, um, you know, I really enjoyed your conversation, you know, uh, say I can't wait to, uh, you know, share this with everyone and just, you know, share the beauty of African hair and just African culture. Um, do you want to add anything before, you know, I sign off? Again, um, Keisha, I thank you so much for inviting me into your podcast. And if you are interested in, um, reading my books, you can go on saycarry.com as well as major booksellers such as Amazon and Barnes and Noble. If you also would like to follow me, you can follow me on uh, Instagram and Facebook. And my names on Instagram and Facebook is saycarry. That's All right. S-A-Y-E-C-A-R-R-I-E. Got it. Okay. That's awesome. I can't wait for everyone to follow you. I'm going to I've already, I'm already following you, but I'm definitely going to, you know, pre, you know, pass it along and just make sure that everyone else follows you as well. Thank you so much for being on my show. And I just want to end it with this. Stay bold, stay brave, and stay balling. Peace.